Gospel of Mark, chapter number 1, this morning. Gospel of Mark, chapter number 1. Our key verse today is going to be one verse, but we're going to, we are going to get some more in there, don't worry. Uh, we're going to read verse number 35 this morning. Gospel of Mark, chapter number 1, verse 35. We'll read verse 35 and we'll pray. <clears throat> in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this day. I thank you for the songs that have been sung, for the worship that has been lifted. I pray that God, now we would continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I pray that you would fill, fill me this morning, Lord, my heart, my mind, and my tongue to be used for you. God, that your word would be proclaimed, and Lord, that this morning that you would Give the message that is needed. I pray, Lord, that you would help every heart. Lord, that through this you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. We often talk about a great need of revival. When we often talk about a great need of revival, we talk about our nation. We talk about those who are lost. I want you to know those who are without Christ, those who are in this world today who do not know Jesus, they do not need to be revived. They need to be reborn. And what you and I often think about as revival is actually the rebirth of souls. We need souls to be born again. We need souls to be able to know that it is only through Christ alone that there is salvation. There is no salvation outside of Jesus. There is no salvation outside of repentance and faith. But today, what needs reviving is the church of God. We need truly something even more specific than just some sort of other revival meeting or someone to come in and get us all riled up for about a week or so and just send us back off into the world. We need real revival, but real revival will only come if we have a revival of prayer. And true revival only ever comes, and real revival only comes as a revival of prayer and by prayer. Revival is for the church. And prayer is for saved individuals, by the way. If there's ever a prayer that a lost soul needs to pray today, it is not something that I can give to them. It is not something I can write down for them. It is simply for their heart to be convicted of sin and to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is to repent of their sins and to cry out for mercy and to be born again. But the church has lost prayer. We have lost the art of prayer. We have lost what it means to depend upon prayer. Most of the life... The prayer life of the average believer is found when the pastor says, let us pray, and then we close our eyes or we peek around a little bit and we're not really praying what's going on. Some of you do. Praise God and I thank God for you. And I ask that you continue to pray for me even now. But so much of our Christian life and Christian walk and Christian churches have lost our dependence upon prayer. Christians need prayer. This is for the church today. R.A. Torrey once said, Our greatest need today is a deep, thorough, spirit-wrought, God-sent revival. And all of us would say yes. But he goes on to say, Such revivals, as far as our human role is concerned, always come in one way, by prayer. When asked, the average Christian, if asked today, what is your biggest spiritual struggle? 
What's the hardest thing that you've got in your life? Besides the, the killing of our sin and besides not doing that which we're not supposed to do, normally all of us say, I need a better prayer life. I need to pray more. I, I wish I prayed more. I wish I prayed better. I wish I... Something to do with prayer. We see the need. We know the need. But yet we don't really depend and understand the depth of that need of prayer. Many times our prayer life is as shallow as, God, thank you for breakfast. Thank you for lunch. Thank you for dinner. Be with the missionaries. Give me safe travel. And, and that's about all she wrote for the day. Help me to not cut somebody off or, or get mad at somebody or, or, or get in the flesh too bad. And we might be getting a little bit deeper, but we have overcomplicated our Christian walk so much that we have lost what it means to pray. We have replaced prayer and, and preaching with all the busyness of church life. And today, as we've just read in our bulletin a little while ago, we've got a lot of things that are starting back up. But I want you to know, not a single thing will ever be accomplished through our kids' club if there is not teachers in those rooms praying for those kids, praying for those families. There will never be a single service where we have a soul saved or where we have a move of God or a heaven-sent, spirit-filled, wrought revival unless the people of God are praying. And I want you to know that even this morning, you will not get a single thing out of a Sunday morning, no matter how many Sundays you come in a row, unless you spend great time in prayer. We don't wrestle enough in prayer, and that's our issue. We have no personal prayer. We, we lack public revival and personal revival because we lack personal and public prayer. We leave the praying up to the prayer warriors like they're some sort of select few Christians and individuals who, well, they're the ones that know how to pray. And I, I just try to just tell God my needs as they come a little bit every now and again. I want you to know, the reason why you might know somebody in your life or in the church that's called a, a prayer warrior, it's not because they're more spiritual than you. It's just that they pray and you don't. And I don't. There is something that we must do, and I believe it's to ask the Lord to teach us to pray. It is a difficult thing, and I've been praying it for a while now. And boy, the, <laughs> boy, the toughness that has come with it. But yet there is a sweetness as God teaches us through trials what it means to pray. As He begins to show us our great need of prayer. And to you, dear believer today, you go, well, I, I, I do pray some. I, I do read my Bible. I, I witness as much as I can. And I, I come to the services. I, I try to serve and help out. My name's on a couple of sheets back there to help out. Well, that's great. We can do all those things without ever having been prayed up for it or ever pouring and working in prayer for those things. And all we've done is we've accomplished a lot of church stuff in our own flesh. It was said a Chinese Christian came and visited some, some brothers and sisters in Christ in the States here. And as he looked around and as he traveled around with them, he looked around at the, the churches and listened to them talk about church and all that they've got going on in church. And he said, it amazes me how much you can accomplish without God in it. I'm afraid that most of our churches, and if we're not careful, as we're about to venture off into starting kids club and preparing for VBS and having a parking lot ministry and trying to do all these ministries and ministries and ministries that will lose the greatest ministry that there is, and that is the ministry of prayer. Today, the priority must not be our programs. It must not be all these other things that we will do. It's not that they're bad. But the priority must be prayer. I want you to know that 
I want you to want me to be a better preacher. I need to be a better preacher. I strive to be a better preacher. The only way that I'll be a better preacher is if I spend much more time in prayer. The only way, and I want you to want me to be a better pastor, I want to be a better pastor. I need to be a better pastor. But the only way that I will be a better pastor, a better preacher, a better husband, is if I become a man of prayer. The greatest need for you, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, believers today, the, the way, if you're going to grow in Christ, if you actually want to, to be something for, for Jesus, it is not going to be found in some sort of step one, two, three, A, B, C, X, Y, Z curriculum. Curriculums are great. Programs are helpful. But unless you get alone with God, unless you do a little bit of wrestling and some prayer, we forget that the Lord prayed. And that's what we're going to look at this verse today. The priority of prayer. I do want to help you a little bit this morning. It might even be the whole message. Do you want to know the easiest way to have a better prayer life? You ready for this? Jot this down. It's going to, it's going to rock your world. You ready? Are you sure? You don't seem ready. Easiest way to pray more. You ready? Pray. You will never pray more unless you pray. You will never learn to pray unless you pray. You will never do business with God unless you do business with God. And dear churches, we're moving forward. I don't want to take another step unless we pray. I don't want to start another program, another ministry unless we pray. Volunteers for our kids club, I thank God for you. I've prayed for each one of you throughout the past few weeks. I've got you on a list. That's how I can remember you. Come tonight, you're going to walk in that classroom with some kids and over the next few months and years to come, you're going to walk in these classrooms with kids. But I don't want you to walk in that classroom unless you have prayed. Church member, if you're not helping out with the kids, that's okay. I don't want you to walk through those back doors unless you've prayed. I don't want to ever make that long walk up these stairs unless I've labored in prayer. There is much that we can accomplish in our flesh, but unless we have prayed, we have missed the boat. And I never want to be at the place in my life, personally, or in the life of this church, where we think we can move forward or do anything without trusting and depending solely upon God. This is His church. It is His ministry. It is His business. We must go to Him in desperate and dependent prayer. I want to look first of all today, as we are now brought to the place where we must respond to the priority of prayer. And today we'll either leave here while prayer will now become a priority or we will seek and beg God and teach us to pray. Show me. Make it a priority, God. I spend much of my prayer life asking God to help me to pray. It's a funny thing that is. But I want us to look first of all in verse 35 at the priority of prayer in the life of Christ. First of all, in looking at the whole context here, I want us to back up to verse 21. We're going to see the busyness of ministry. If anybody was ever busy in ministry, it was Jesus. If anybody ever went full force in life and ministry in his short little time of ministry, on this earth, that is, it was Christ. He would outwork us, he would outpreach us, and he would outpray us. And I believe that's the key. Verse 21 tells us, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath he entered into the synagogue and taught. 
And they were astonished at his doctrine, for they taught him as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. They were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever, the fever left her. And she ministered unto them. And that even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. In the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. This was the Sabbath day. This was their day of rest, their day where they had limitations on how far they could travel, things that they could do. But Jesus, as he does, goes there in Capernaum. On the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and he taught. He would go, sit upon the stool with the scroll open, and read and teach. But even in all the busyness of Jesus' ministry, from teaching and preaching to healing the multitudes and feeding the thousands, Jesus never did this on His own physical man strength, but rather depended upon the Spirit of God. And we'll see that in a moment. And there is nothing that can be accomplished in life and in ministry without the power of prayer. I've been here in this church and we had a, several prayer meetings back towards the end of the, the past year. We had a, a prayer initiative and things. You know, I had people who said, this is really great. We really appreciate this emphasis on prayer. And some people who would come during the day and, and to pray and to pray and to sign up to pray and to pray. And it was great. But I also had a few who said, don't you think we're praying a little much? <laughs> We'd laugh to keep ourselves from crying. But there would be God's people who would think that we pray too much. Let me ask you, can we, can we pray too much about an issue? Can we pray too much about something that's so small and insignificant? Oh, that doesn't need prayer. I can just skip over that. I'm just going to work today. It's the same old, same old. I don't need to pray about my work day. Okay, go enjoy work today. Make sure while you do that, you don't get frustrated. You don't get aggravated. You get all of your assignments done and you do so with glee and as unto the Lord. And then tell me if you need prayer. You have to go visit family. You have to go to the doctor. Go ahead and do it in your own strength and tell me how that works out. It might be a great doctor's visit. It'd be a better one if you pray. Not that you might receive the perfect results that you look for, but that you would have strength and endurance for whatever may come. 
Because, dear friends, we have no idea what a day may hold, what a day may bring. And this is why we must be dependent upon prayer. There's nothing too small for us to pray about. There's nothing too big for us to pray about. And there's never a time where God's going to go, hey, look, I've been hearing a whole lot from you. I think you need to slow down. The letters are getting pretty full. No, it doesn't work that way. God desires for us to come, and there's never a time, a moment, a season where we will pray too much about something. However, we spend much time where we pray too little over anything. The reason why we haven't seen these uh, spirit-wrought, God-sent revivals that men of old have seen, I firmly believe is because we have yet to even really wrestle with prayer. We like the idea of God moving but we like the idea of God moving in other souls and not on our own because we like us the way that we are. We don't want change. We don't want to be different. We don't want to grow more holy. We want to stay who we are and stay in our own little island, stay in our own little bubble, stay in our own little realm. We just want God to fix everybody else that's got all the big problems. My problems aren't that bad. Probably, probably not so bad to you because you have yet to be convicted and pray about them. Jesus preaching on the synagogue in the synagogue on the Sabbath day there. I want to say that there's nobody that preaches the word of God better than the word made flesh. John chapter 1 tells us in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Jesus is God. He is the Word. But look then later on in the passage. He is the eternal Word of God. He is a second person of the Trinity. He is God. But look, He's the Word made flesh. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, look at Jesus. Don't look at me. If you're looking for a great preacher, look at Jesus. Don't look at me. Jesus preaches the Word of God because He knows the Word of God because He is the very divine revelation, the Logos of God. He is the one to come. The Word made flesh. And He preaches, it says, in verse 22, it says, and they were astonished at His doctrine. He preaches with astonishing authority because He holds all authority in His deity. Yet, has authority been given to Him and he is dependent upon the Spirit. And as he's preaching, an unclean spirit cries out. The phrase cry out, by the way, is one of a guttural, throaty, visceral scream. I've been around some, some stuff. I remember a time in Nicaragua where there was cases of this happening. And many people think, well... There's no such thing as demonic possession. It's all just some sort of made-up thing or, or, or some sort of fairy tale or maybe just some sort of mental illness. There are mental illnesses out there, but there is a grave difference between a mental illness and a demonic possession. And you will find that those who are suffering with such will let out the most blood-curdling cries in the quietest of moments that will wreck that very moment. And you will know that there is darkness. And by the way, church, there is darkness. There is darkness today. There is darkness coming for you. There is darkness coming for your children, for your grandchildren. It surrounds us, and the only way to fight is through the power of God and through great prayer. 
If you think that you can stand against the powers of darkness by your own strength, you don't know the powers of darkness, nor do you understand how weak you actually are. It is Paul who said, I'm weak, I'm frail. And the Apostle Paul was the Apostle Paul. He depended upon the grace of God. Jesus rebukes and removes the demon. And fame then spreads throughout the region of Capernaum. And notice the phrase, immediately his fame spread. And then verse 29, and forthwith, when they come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. The second thing that happens on this busy Sabbath day of his ministry is that Jesus then heals Peter's mother-in-law. The word forthwith here is that of, of immediately. And Mark uses immediately over and over and over again in his gospel. But by the time you finish reading the gospel of Mark, you're tired, you're out of breath because everything, immediately, immediately, immediately. But he shows the urgency of Jesus' ministry and of Jesus' message. And on this day, he literally goes from teaching and preaching in the synagogue to immediately, there he is, going to heal Simon's wife's mother, who lay sick of a fever, and Anon, the idea of Anon is that immediately, forthwith, they tell him of her. It's as he's walking in the door, Jesus, Jesus, you have to come, you have to come, she's sick, she's going to die, she's going to die. There's urgency. And many of us barely pray when things are good, let alone when things are so urgent that then we're just tossing up a quick, God help, God help. We need to know that we need to seek the Lord urgently and immediately. You have a, a matter physically going on with you, and maybe it's not that big of a deal. Seek the Lord immediately. You have a great big issue in your life and you have no idea how you're going to face this mountain. Seek the Lord immediately. Seek the Lord immediately. Seek the Lord immediately. So many of us, as the Bible says, wait on the Lord, but we wait on the Lord without ever seeking the Lord while we wait on Him. Yes, we must wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord on your knees. Wait on the Lord as you pray. Wait on the Lord as you, you move, as He tells you to move, as you obey Him. As He heals her immediately, healing is brought forth immediately. The fever left her. And her immediate response is that she then ministers unto them. Then, His day continues. Jesus then says, in that even... When the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils and all the city gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of the divers diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Jesus' healing of diseases and casting of demons is sort of the ending of the day. The Sabbath ended there at sundown and this allowed people to then freely travel to bring their sick and possessed friends and family to Jesus for healing. And notice this, it wasn't just a handful of folks that showed up. But they knew where to find Jesus. There had been crowds hearing Him preach and teach. Remember, just a few verses ago, immediately His fame spread abroad throughout the, all the region round about Galilee. Now as the Eden comes, they, they, they come and they bring everyone that is sick, everyone that has an ailment, Everyone that's possessed or oppressed or facing great issues in their life that they can't fix. No doctor could fix it. No Pharisee could fix it. No religious leader could fix it. They know that only Jesus can fix it. And it says that all the cities gathered together at the door. 
This is like if everyone right now were to try to go out the door at one time. It's not very good, is it? It's not going to work. There's going to be a traffic jam. Why? Because everyone's trying to get into the same place and they're trying to get in to see Jesus so that they can be healed. Jesus heals many. And this is showing the vast number of people and that all the city were gathered together at the door. However, here's what had happened. People came to Jesus not because He was Jesus. People came to Jesus because they knew if I go to Jesus, I'll be made whole, my friend will be made whole, the demon will be cast out, and we'll be straightened. So much of our prayer life is going to God to get what we can get out of Him. We treat God as if He is Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy or a fairy godmother. We, we only go to God hardly for gratitude, but mostly to, Lord, how come? Or when are you gonna? Or Lord, give me this. Or God, make it easier. God, make it better. And many times we only go to God like He's a, a genie in a lamp. We rub it when things get bad. And we go, alright, I want to make my wish now. And since I made my wish and I came to you in prayer, that must mean that you're going to have to magically now fix it all because I went to you in prayer the one time even though it was with a heart that only wanted what I could get out of you, even though it was a heart that had no gratitude or no worship, even though it was a heart that hasn't prayed to you in weeks and months. On this day, everyone wanted Jesus. Everyone wanted what Jesus could give and what He could do. But fewer just want Jesus. Sadly, in most churches today and in most prayers, of so-called Christians today. They want what Jesus can give and what Jesus can do, and they little, little want what Jesus and who He is. They just they want what He can give. I like what He does. Whatever happened to our prayers being, I just want Jesus. I just want to know Him. I don't need more of what He can give me. He's given more than I could ever, ever thank Him for. He's given me more than I could ever deserve or earn. What I need more in my prayer life is not God give me more, give me more, give me more, but it must be God give me more of You. Let me know You. And You will only grow in a relationship with communication. He has communicated through His Word. And we must communicate through prayer and ask the Lord and seek the Lord. But we will never grow in those things. And we will never grow in our prayer life if we never ever pray. I want you to know that the greatest ministry of Jesus it was not that He healed the multitudes. It was not that He made the, the blind to see. It was not that Jesus cast out the demons. The greatest ministry that Jesus had while He was here on this earth was prayer and preaching. Notice this. He prays. In the morning rising up a great while before day, He went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. You see, the physical miracles are nothing without the message. Remember, he started off his day doing what? Preaching. The, the, the healings and the feedings and all these things. It was ministry and it was good, but how many of them truly then followed Christ? They loved what he had done for them, but very few would follow him all the way. Many of us in our own churches today, many of us in our own lives today, we, oh, thank you God for what you did. Thank you God for what you did. 
And then when He's not doing that said thing for that moment and things get hard, we stop following the Lord because it gets tough. Perhaps it's because our prayer life has been, God give me, God give me, God give me, and not God thank you for what you've given already. We have not made a priority of prayer. And in Jesus' life, what He does is He makes a priority of prayer. I want to look at the person of Christ. First of all, let's look at His deity. Let's make this statement already. Jesus is God. Do you all agree? Alright, amen. I see a lot of heads nodding. A lot of, it's quiet out there, okay? I don't know if you're hot, cold, agitated, quiet. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Look, this morning, Jesus is God. For 2,000 years, we've had to defend that because from the very moment that Jesus ascends to the Father, the, the very moment that the church is established on the day of Pentecost, you know what starts happening? Everyone begins to question, was He really God? He was just a man. He, just did, he was just a, there in the flesh. And people are questioning and still question if Jesus was God. If Jesus was not God, He could not save your soul. He is God. He always has been. He did not become God. He always was God. The Word was then made flesh. God put on flesh. And this is the key. He is truly and fully God. He is eternal, self-existent, second person of the Trinity. And Jesus demonstrated His deity by His authority in preaching and in the practical outworking of His ministry. He did things that only God could do. No man could walk to a grave and say, Lazarus, come forth! But God can Jesus is God. And we have always had to defend this, but what has often happened, and my own fault at times is this, is that we have so defended the deity of Christ that we have forgotten that He was still a man. Now let's look at this. Jesus' deity. We need to look at Jesus' dependence in His humanity. Have you ever asked the question when you come to it in the Gospel readings, why does Jesus pray? Anyone? Have I been the only one? Jesus, why would Jesus pray? He's God, isn't He? He didn't have to pray for anything. He's God. Did He even need to pray? We often ask. The reason why He prays is because He is sent from the Father to do the will of the Father through the work of the Spirit. In His humanity, He is submitted to do the will of God the Father but in His humanity, He has as well submitted His life and ministry to the work of the Spirit. He is dedicated to the will of the Father. He is dependent upon the work of the Spirit in His flesh. Mark chapter 1, verse 9-12, through we see the Trinity here. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. And straightway, immediately coming up, out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Why? To go then be tempted. To press his humanity. That in his humanity he would be dependent upon the Spirit throughout his life and ministry. Because Jesus is not just an example of someone who did good works and did good things. But He is the great example of what it means to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, and God-honoring in all things. We must never miss this. Mark Jones writes, Importantly, Christ's humanity, both body and soul, does not get lost or gobbled up by His divinity. Because of this, Christ's humanity needed the Holy Spirit in order to have communion with God. 
His prayers to God were never simply the prayers of a man, nor even the prayers of the God-man to the Father, but more specifically, they were the prayers of the Son of God to the Father and the power of the Spirit. Never was a prayer uttered before God from the lips of Christ that did not have the Holy Spirit working powerfully upon His human nature to enable Him to speak the words uh, the Father had given Him to speak. In this way, we aim to pray as our Lord prayed. In the Spirit. Many of us, we pray, but we pray in the flesh. God, give me this. God, make this go away. God, make this easier. We need Spirit-filled praying. To pray in the Spirit. To live in the Spirit. To live by the Spirit. It is not just reserved for pastors and missionaries and deacons and and those who are these higher-up spiritual beings. I'm not all as spiritual as you think I am or as much as I'd like to be. Sorry to disappoint you. And we need prayer. We need to be dependent upon the Spirit of God because without obedience to the Spirit, I will live in my flesh. And we often think about the Christian walk being all about what we do. It's not about doing, it's about being. Christ through me. Christ in me. The Holy Spirit, as I yield to Him, it is not about me trying to do this. It is not about you and I trying to accomplish ministry or even just go about our day-to-day life. It is about the Spirit through us. The moment we're born again, we are now just a conduit for the Spirit of God to shed light and to be salt into this world. The greatest Christians and the Spirit-filled Christians and the, the, the prayer words that we talk about You know why they are those things? Because they are dependent and they see their dependence upon the Spirit of God, not just for witnessing because they get scared and weak in the knees, but for going to work, for raising their kids, for teaching a a class of kids, for coming to church. We must be dependent upon the Spirit of God. And sadly, most of us Baptists are so backwards and so afraid of talking about the Holy Spirit that we think He's just like the force. We leave the Holy Spirit for the charismatics. I want you to know the Holy Spirit indwells every believer regardless of what thing you've got on on the front of your church, whatever your sign says. Baptists have got to stop being so afraid of talking about the Holy Spirit because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not born again. And if you do have the Holy Spirit, it is time that we submit to His leading, His guiding, and that we would pray in the Spirit. When's the last time you asked God to teach you to pray? His disciples said, teach us to pray. And then people look and go, well, that's the Lord's Prayer. That's what that's for. I believe that the Holy Spirit teaches us much about prayer. The Bible talks a lot about the Christian's prayer life that Christ intercedes for us. Praise God, He does. But the Holy Spirit prays. Groanings cannot be uttered on our behalf. If there are some times that your prayer is nothing but tears, and yet it's the sweetest prayer there ever is. Yet many of us ain't shed a tear in how long? Our tear ducts are dried and rusty because we're not dependent upon the Spirit. We're dependent upon our flesh and for us to throw up a prayer every now and again and expect God to just go, you know what, there you go. Here, Jesus, being God but in the flesh, submits Himself to the will of God and to the work of the Spirit through Him and His humanity. Now, Here's the real message. 
As we get to verse 35, we find Jesus' priority in prayer. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, He went out. Jesus didn't have His iPhone with a, a, three different alarms set to wake Him up. He didn't have a cuckoo clock. He didn't carry around a rooster in his pocket. He woke up long before the day even broke. And he did so to go commune with the Father. So many of us won't come to Sunday school because it's too early. And Jesus, the Son of God, says it's never too early to pray with my Father. It's never too early to seek the face of God. Nor is it ever too late. Every moment is the perfect moment to pray. The issue is we miss those perfect moments because we lack praying. Jesus prayed three times that is mentioned in the Gospel of Mark that are noted. And they're noted in three separate occasions that are very important. One is here. The second one is in chapter 6. Verse 46, this is after a great deal of ministry. Chapter 6, verse 46, after the feeding of the 5,000, it says, and when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. He sends his disciples away. And what does he do? He gets alone with God. Go a few more pages. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. Jesus there in Gethsemane, as He is about to drink the cup of the wrath of God of which we've sung about already, that same very cup which still abides upon you who have not repented of your sins and trusted Christ. It says, and they came to a place which is named Gethsemane. It is literally the place of an olive press. It is that of a pressing to get the oil out. That's where it was. It's idea of being pressed down to where everything comes out. And I want you to know, there's a lot of pressing that goes on in your life. And what's going to come out if you're not praying, if you're not prayed, prayed up in your life, if you're not in walking in the Spirit, by the Spirit, through the Spirit, living a Spirit-led, Spirit-filled life, what's going to come out is bad stuff. When the pressure gets applied, you're not going to handle it. And the only way that you can handle the pressure of life, you guessed it prayer. He says, and he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy and saith unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. He came not to do what He wanted to do as God because He is God, but He came as the servant of God in the flesh to submit to the will of the Father. What was the will of the Father? The Bible says that it pleased Him to bruise the Son, to crush Him for your sins and for mine. The will of God was that the Son would submit and die and be raised again the third day to offer eternal life to all who would repent 
and believe. That's the will of the Father. And he, count, and he cometh and findeth him sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest thou not watch one hour? I wonder what our lives, wonder what our marriages, wonder what our relationships, I wonder what our church, wonder what our ministries, wonder what our town, wonder what our country might look like if we could spend an hour in prayer. Statistically, the average Christian prays less than twice a week and less than five minutes a day if they pray daily. Now, we're not told you have to pray this amount of time. We're not talking about the law here. We're talking about the God of the universe who loves us, sent His Son to die for us, who has bought us and adopted us as His children, and yet I, I can't spend more than ten minutes let alone an hour. It says, watch ye and pray, lest ye enter in temptation. The Spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Your flesh is weak. And so is mine. So how are we to live in a fleshly world with fleshly jobs around fleshly people while we battle our own fleshly desires? Through much Spirit-filled prayer. If you notice all three of these cases, if you go back and read the chapter before, the chapter of, and the chapter after, you can see the context. All three take place during a night watch and in solitude. It's a lost art to be awakened in the night to pray. It's a lost art to wake up early and to pray. It's just a lost art to pray. And we wonder why we have no power. We wonder why our relationships are broken. We wonder why our churches do much, but yet have little fruit. We don't pray. All three of these situations that we just read are as well during a fervor of ministry that Jesus is accomplishing. But notice, He doesn't accomplish anything outside of prayer. He prays before. He prays after. He's praying during. He prays and He prays and He prays. We need that. And all three of which, by the way, come during a time of great opposition and ministry where it seems though here in Mark 1 that everyone is seeking Him. And why are they seeking Him? He tells us, and Simon in verse 36, they that were with Him followed after Him. And when they had found Him, they said to them, all men seek after Him. That sounds great. All men are seeking after Jesus. Yes, because they want what He can give. They want what He can do. But they don't actually want Jesus. Jesus didn't care about crowds. He didn't care about nickels and noses. As a matter of fact, Jesus even hushed the devils up. You say, well, they spoke the truth. Yeah, well, they're devils. Sadly, we've got a lot of demonic work in our own churches. We've got more demons on pews than we do spirit-filled believers at times. All men sought after Him. And Jesus' response, <laughs> He said unto them, let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore... 
came out forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. He says, we're rolling on. Because they didn't want Christ. They wanted what He could give. They wanted what He could do. Prayer and true Spirit-filled prayer is not wanting just what God can do and what God can give, but it's wanting Him. Most of us don't want prayer, let alone just wanting God. And, and I want my prayer to be Him-focused, not me-focused. God will take care of things. That's who He is. Jesus' great priority in prayer is to do the will of the Father through the work of the Spirit. And He's a perfect example of this. Notice in verse 35, in the morning, how many morning people we've got out there? A couple. The rest of you are here because you drank some coffee and that's how you got here this morning, right? That's right. Not everyone's a morning person. Here, Jesus gets up in the morning and it says, rising up a great while before day. The idea is that of the last watch of the night, which would have been about from 3 to, to 6. The, the darkest point, the coldest point, the point where everyone's fast asleep and snoring. Jesus is up, and Jesus is up for a reason. To meet with the Father in prayer. It takes sacrifice to pray. It takes self-discipline to pray. The reason why we don't keep praying is because we say it's hard to pray, and it is hard to pray. But if we would pray in the Spirit, if we would yield ourselves completely to God, to His will, and to His work, oh, the joy and the rewards that we could find in spending time in prayer. I'm not talking about beating yourself up. Oh, I didn't pray today, so i got to beat myself up. Now I can't pray anymore because I didn't start my day with prayer, so I can't end my day with prayer. It's just my whole day's out of whack. I'll start again tomorrow. No, pray now! And by the way, don't just pray that once a day meeting with God. Meet with God throughout the day. But do not mistake praying throughout the day or for your meals as time spent alone with God. You'd better find your hiding place with God. You'd better find your solitude with the Lord. You'd better find that place where it's you and Him and no one else. You'd better find that time daily. You better find that place, whether it is off in the wilderness, whether it is on the mountain, whether it is in your garden, your trail, your bedroom, your closet, a literal closet, wherever it is, find that place and meet with God. And then keep meeting with God. And then keep meeting with God. And then keep meeting with God. What do we give up to pray? Not a lot. We're still yet free in our nation for now. We still have little to no persecution for now. We all came here this morning without a care, a concern, without any sort of thing. We're just waiting for me to be quiet, to go get some lunch. I want you to know there's much more to this. We need to pray. And we know it, don't we? There's not a saved soul in this room who says, I don't need to pray. But I want to pray like Christ prayed. Dependent upon the Spirit. Submit it to the will of the Father. This solitary place, I believe, is important. We must be alone with God for rest. We must be alone with God for renewal. If we will ever be anything for God. We have it twisted in our churches. And I, I as a pastor and many others 
just like me, get it messed up. And we mess you guys up. And here's how. We say phrases like, I want to do something for God. I want us to do something for God. I want us to do. Don't believe that God cares so much about us doing this X, Y, and Z thing. He cares about us being. We can fake some doing. And sadly, there's many a soul in a pew today who has done so much for God that they don't even know God. They've done so much in church that they don't know the Christ. You can do so much and still not know Him. But you will be much if you simply know Him. And we can accomplish much as conduits as we know Him, but it boils down to being alone with Him. There's far too much stress doing something instead of just being for God. I don't want to do something for Him. He's done all the work. It's His work anyways. I want to be for Him because if I am for Him, if I can be who I'm called to be, Spirit-led and Spirit-filled and obedient to His Word and prayed up and to be alone with God, God will use your life. Do not have it the other way where I must do this and then go, well, well, look, I'm exhausted. I'm burnt out. You're burnt out because you've done it in your flesh. Sadly, as a pastor, there's been many a times in my short life of ministry where I've wanted to go sell ice cream. Makes people happy. Who doesn't like ice cream? If you're lactose intolerant, sorry, find something else. Find bacon. Bacon's good too. Wanted to go sell anything or do anything except for this, and you know why? Because of my flesh. We get so exhausted, we get so tired. Because we haven't gotten away with God. We haven't gotten alone with Him near enough. And if you're still tired today, get alone with God some more and stay alone with Him until you get this right. Not that you're going to conjure this up or I'm just going to pull myself up. No, get alone with God and stay alone with God until He says, get up and go. And then don't go by yourself. Go with God and through God and filled by God. As we look at this, R.A. Torrey writes about being alone with God. He says, this is the secret of becoming much like God. Remain a long while alone with God. And if you won't stay long with Him, you won't be much like Him. The ones you are around, you will be like. And you've heard that your whole life. And guess what? It's still true. We hear it put other ways. You are what you eat. If that's the case, I'm the right side of the Taco Bell menu, right? (laughs) I'm not. You think about this. The things that we are around, we will become. And to be a Christian means to be what? To be Christ-like? If I'm to be Christ-like, I'm to be with Him. As we asked earlier, is there something too small to pray for? Is there ever a time where you can pray too much? No. Let me ask you then this. Is there ever too much time spent with God? For some reason, we give every excuse as to why there is. Jesus got up early 
rose up a great while before day. He goes out. He gets away from every distraction. Everyone that could distract him. He gets away from the crowds that so desperately wanted him. And he gets into this solitary place, and there he prayed. The word prayed here is showing a continual prayer. He could have just tossed up an easy one while he was still there in the comfort of his bed. But no, he prays and he prays and he prays. Many of us will pray for something one time and say, oh, I prayed about it. God didn't do it. I prayed about it one time. I ain't praying, dear friend. Well, that God would give us a burden to pray and teach us what it means to wrestle in prayer, to persevere, and to pray, and to pray, and to pray, and to pray, and to pray. Until either God answers or God gives the answer. But we keep praying even then yet still. Close with this. We've seen the priority of prayer in the life of Christ, and now we must see the priority of prayer in the life of the Christian. If this is Jesus' great priority to pray and to be alone with God, how much more should it be ours? Let me ask you this. This is a simple question. Are you God? Am I God? Quit living like it. We've got to understand that we are dependent upon Him for every breath we will ever take. We are dependent upon Him for every fruit we will ever see in this church, in this ministry, in our life, in the life of our kids, our grandkids, and so on and so forth. We must pray. If it was needful for Jesus on a busy Sabbath day serving multitudes after multitudes and He still had to get alone and pray, what do you think we need? I need to get alone and pray. It's not just the pastor needs to get alone and pray for his messages. He does. And he's trying to do it more and more and more. Before you ever come through that back door to worship the Lord, try spending next Sunday morning more time in prayer than you will in an argument with your wife on the way to church. Try spending more time in prayer that morning for God to move and for God to, to change your heart than you would spend in going, oh, I wonder if so-and-so is going to be there today. Get alone with God. Whatever you give your time, your energy, and your effort to is your priority. It's your priority. Many people want churches to represent different things. I want it to be a loving church. I want it to be a worshipful church. I want it to be a giving church. Many pastors or people say about their pastors, I want him to be a, a good speaker. I want him to be a man who visits all the time. I want him to be very kind. I want him to be all these different things. The greatest need of our churches is to pray. The greatest ministry that you will ever do for me and in this church and for your own heart and for your own family is to pray. The greatest thing that I will do will not be just going and knocking on a door and sitting and drinking a cup of coffee with sweet shut-ins and while it's needed, the greatest thing that I can ever do for you all is to be on my face before God. The greatest thing that you can ever do for me is to be on your face before God for me. Whatever we give our time to, that's our priority. And communion with God must be our highest priority. We say and we know 
that our relationship with God is everything, it should be everything, and should be first, and yet everything else in our life says that it's on the list, but it's not first. Husbands and wives, moms, dads, don't, don't make your kids first on your list. The Lord, your spouse, your child, because you want them to know what a real marriage is built on and it's not built on your love and your emotions and your feelings because they come and they go depending on how they're brushing their teeth that day and how they looked at you. It must be dependent upon a love for Christ. Don't build your life upon your work because one day you're going to retire or die and that job will replace you. Quick. Don't live for your house. One day it's going to burn. Don't live for your boat, for your cars, for your trucks, for your toys. One day they're going to rust. Don't live for your bank account because guess what? It's imaginary money anyways. I've worked in a bank. It's not really all there. All right? And last I looked, the economy's not looking a whole, whole lot good, right? We've got nothing to trust in in this world. I need prayer. We need prayer. We must see our dependence upon prayer and obeying the Spirit of God. And you will never be a Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, Spirit-obedient Christian if you are never praying in the Spirit of God to do the will of God. I'm afraid that many of us do a lot of things without ever praying. And praying until we get the answer, by the way, God, what is your will? And I believe that the first answer to that is the will of God is for you to pray and to know Him and to spend time with Him. Whatever happened to this? We're not but a few generations away where people knew what it meant to depend on God. You know why? Because they didn't have fancy jobs and fancy cars. They lived not paycheck to paycheck because they didn't even get paychecks. They lived season to season praying that God would give rain when He needed rain. Praying that God would give crops and fruit or else they won't eat in that winter. And that's here in this area, mind you. Good old mountain folk. Dependent upon God. Now we're dependent upon cell phones and wallets and jobs and cars and all of this stuff that we can produce our own. And sadly, what's even worse than that is in our own churches is we've got such a well-fined, oil-tuned machine of the church that is able to accomplish much without ever accomplishing a thing because there's no prayer in it. What would, what would we like to be known for? A church that gives, a church that loves, a church that worships. How about a people of God that know God and pray? As a pastor, it would be nice to be known as a good pastor. Maybe even as a good preacher, but none of that would compare to being a man of prayer. You can get your number one dad tie or coffee mug every year If you're not a father of prayer, no father at all. You can get the same Mother's Day gift every year and be told you're number one mom without prayer. You understand? We need prayer. Whatever happened to it in our own lives or our own church? I end with this today. How you pray and your effort and your time and your energy in prayer 
tells far more about how you view God than anything in your life. God, teach us to pray. Let us stand. Today, if you have a need, if you need to be taught to pray, I can't teach you, but the Holy Spirit can. Ask Him. If you have a need today, this altar's open. If you need to be born again, if you need to be saved, and you have questions, come. I'll take the Bible and show you Christ. Today, if you just need to pray, now's your time. Would you come?